Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of the Team Novo Nordis podcast. I'm your host, Zylan Fanek. In this episode, we are chatting to Phil Sutherland, the CEO and co-founder of Team Novo Nordis and his experience at the London Marathon. We dig into his glucose management and how that went for him. The first thing I want to say is diabetes management is incredibly individual. So please always consult your doctor. Um, as we carry on with this episode, you'll see Phil talks about his experience of what his glucose management was like leading up to the race and also during the race. But this, I want to stress, is Phil's personal glucose management story. So, hope you enjoy insight into Phil Sutherland's story from running the London Marathon. Phil Sutherland, welcome back to the Team Novo Nordis podcast. And we are back after you've done some crazy things in your life, namely the London Marathon. I mean, what possessed you to go and run a marathon with six weeks of training? Well, you know, it was, it was actually Berlin Marathon last year. And just seeing... Being at the finish line to watch Elliot break the world record, uh, but more was cool. Then an hour later, to see you know both the joy and the misery people had as they came across the line, you know, and just breaking their records. Right? I mean, some people got across like you, and they were absolutely destroyed, falling over. They'd gone so deep, but so many were just like you know, because so many people were breaking three hours in uh, in Berlin, and just see that like exhilaration of like this is cool. I mean, this is, you know, I'd like to be a part of this. And yeah, so I kind of kept running a little bit, but then eventually, you know, I, you fall back to what you're comfortable with. And I fell back to the bike and, you know, my running shoes began collecting dust for a period of time. And I, I'd done 5k on the, tr- the treadmill in one hotel and then 6k in the treadmill in another hotel. It kind of, when I travel, I use running to just, you know, keep the blood flowing and try to keep my gl- glucose in good control. Um, but Again, time went on, and then I had a really stressful week at work, seven weeks prior to London. Um, I hadn't been able to exercise at all. It was a Saturday afternoon. I had to do video recordings the entire morning, it was, and it was just, I needed stress relief. So I went, I said, I'm going to go hard. Let's see what I can do. And you know, did a seven-mile run at 7.07 minutes per mile, and it was like, all right, cool. You know, no, no watch, nothing. I just had my energy band and Strava on in my back pocket. I was like, I'm going to go and then go for an hour and see what it was. And I was like, that's okay. And then the following Wednesday, it's like, maybe I should ask for a marathon spot, but let me see. And so I went out with Vasily and um, he did five miles with me. I did 10 in total. And like the next day, it's like, my legs weren't bad because I didn't have a lot of time, I had to be really focused. Like, and I had to be, you know, very measured, not missing a workout, you know, focus on my weight, because Chip Hawkins from Wahoo informed me it was two seconds per mile per pound, um, which you, know, you do the math over a marathon. Uh, so I you know, went full on to try and lose, you know, about uh, 12, 13 pounds, which I did in that six week period. Uh, so it was really good for my, like everything. My glucose control was phenomenal. Uh, because I was just so dis, you know, I was disciplined. I was kind of living like a pro athlete. I didn't have any airplane rides to go on, and um, it was it was fun to, you know, to get going. So that was you know, really the impetus behind this crazy idea. 
And when you talk about your glucose control, are you talking about the weeks leading up to the race, like really paying attention to management? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting. Because running, you go the same speed. So by, you know, glucose goes up and then it stays normally, you know, relatively flat and fueling. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure you saw the glucose scores. It was like, you know, on these longer runs I was doing, it was 90, 90, 100, you know, just, you know, for me, in the training period, you know, running these long distances, it was easy to manage. And I also was doing weight training twice a week and I was on the bike two to three times a week. So I was typically getting six to seven workouts in total in a week. And just that a constant workout, but also the muscular work plus the running, which is a different metabolic challenge versus cycling, which is a different metabolic challenge. Just like my average glucose was 99. It was like, I, I didn't have diabetes, uh, is what, is what you know the data said, um, which was cool. Yeah, and so I, I enjoyed that that part of the journey. So I mean, when it comes to diabetes and people living without diabetes, you have a range of people, from those who have family members or spouses or kids with diabetes, so they completely get it and they understand it, to people who sort of know they've heard about diabetes and they roughly know what it is, but they couldn't even tell you the difference between type one and type two diabetes. So we speak to a wide range of people. Yeah. You know, speaking to those people with limited knowledge, like if they were to say, you know, is it even possible for someone with diabetes to run a marathon? Like, what would you say to them? Uh, we we've known people with diabetes can run marathons for a long time. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, my, my friend, Carl Bilbo has been running marathons for a bunch of years. He's had diabetes for 40 some odd years. Um, you know, look, there were guys doing Ironman with diabetes back in the late eighties or early nineties. So yeah, if you can do an Ironman, obviously there's a, there's a marathon at the end of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, guys like Tommy Neal, who were part of team Nova Nordisk team type one, uh, Benny Madrigal, Stephen England, you know, uh, and, and others who not have just run marathons with diabetes, but run really fast marathons with diabetes. I mean, Benny did 234, you know, a few years ago. And, you know, I think the, you know, what, what I go back to now that I've seen all of this data by people without diabetes is <clears throat> it's normally the same. Like during sport, especially endurance sport that, you know, it's two and a half, three hours plus, you know, we're all diabetic. You know, we all have to manage glucose. Glucose matters just as much for Elliot Kipchoge as it does for me in a marathon. <laughs> so let's get down to the specifics of your glucose then. Day before the race, um, what are you trying to achieve? So you know, the, um, the day before the race, yeah, I, I don't have a big appetite. Uh, I, you know, I, it, as a middle-aged man with you know, t two jobs and four kids, you know, for me to, uh, one of which I think is about to come in here. Hey, hey, Demonstrated right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where was I? So you know, the, I was eating a lot, you know, and this was again, following the, the, you know, the learnings that we've done on people without diabetes, just about the importance of loading. You know, one, I wanted good glucose control. You know, two, I wanted to eat a lot of carbohydrates. Um, and so, you know, the training was light, uh, obviously, in the week leading up. Uh, but I was, again, super fit, uh, super lean. So my metabolism was, you know, was running. And I wanted predictability, right? That's, yeah. You know, so a lot of food, you know, minimal insulin. 
but the day before it was just got to get as many carbohydrates in my body as possible and ensure, you know, my liver glycogen is full and my muscle glycogen is full so that I'd have access to it, you know, when I needed most, which was race. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, you know, times, you know, I, my arrival, like, like a professional, I called Elliot Kipchoge's, you know, manager, Valentine. Uh, and I said, when should I arrive? He goes, I said, I was going to arrive on you know, Thursday. He goes, arrived two days earlier. So I, I got there on, you know, Tuesday, you know, I, I had really stable glucose and very predictable glucose. You know, every single night I, we were staying at this uh, Hilton hotel and I don't know if people know about Hilton, but they give you, they've got these warm chocolate chip cookies. Um, so every night coming into the hotel after dinner, I'd, you know, go ask for, you know, can I have some cookies? Can I have some cookies? And you know, typically I would eat one before bed. You know, I'd get a, a spike up and in glucose probably you know 12 one, one o'clock at night um you know alarm give one unit you know if it would drop a little bit low then i'd have another cookie uh but normally i would just wake up with the perfect glucose which would allow me to start training my body to get ready for breakfast so you know so, so that's what was happening and i was waking up with good glucose in the morning i was going to have oatmeal just again i don't normally eat breakfast so i was i really wanted to train my gut and be ready for you know, breakfast come Saturday. Um, and I did that every single day. Uh, then day before the race came and like my whole world went to crap uh, from a glucose perspective. Everything was opposite as it was the prior, prior five days. Uh, my glucose was a little bit low um, or, you know, or, or no, it dropped a little bit low at 1 p.m., 1 a.m. Every other day that, and I'd had my cookie, Every other day, I'd gone up at 1, 1 a.m. and gave a unit. This time, I was low at 1 a.m. So I had another cookie, uh, and about 30 grams of carbs. And I said, this will, this will be good. It's going to get me you know, to about 120 based on, again, what had happened every single day. But it didn't. Uh, I was tired. Uh, I went to sleep. And apparently, at about 1, 1.30 a.m., my glucose went up to 290 milligrams per deciliter. And it stayed between 290 and 300 milligrams per deciliter from 1.30 a.m. until 6.45 a.m. when I woke up. And for those who don't know, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. It's, it's bad. A lot of bad stuff is happening in your body with glucose that high. And, you know, again, I, me, you know, and like I was saying at the beginning, my average glucose has been in the upper 90s uh, for the past you know, call it six weeks in the lead up to this. So you think about the delta between what's normal for me and where I was and the 12 hours leading up to the race, uh, you know, it was caused a shock for my body. Um, every morning I'd been doing 40 units of insulin to have oatmeal. You know, I had to do seven units of insulin. Uh, and again, what I do is not what you should do. It's, you know, everyone consult with their doctor before doing this. I'm just sharing my personal experience and the actions I had to take. Um, but that, that morning I did seven units and then still wasn't coming down. But, you know, Christina, uh, my, my coach was adamant that I have to have breakfast and, you know, you got to do it the super sapiens way. And, and then she, so I, there were seven units and then I had to do another four units so that I could eat some oatmeal, which is, that's my total daily dose of insulin from a rapid standpoint on normal days. <clears throat> Already in the first two hours I'm awake, I ate, ate the oatmeal and then again, I was still hovering at about 220 um, milligrams per deciliter an hour 
and 10 minutes before the start, every hard run I've done, my glucose has gone up and it's, and it's stayed there. Uh, and I've done this with insulin on, on board, you know, an hour and a half before, hour before. So I've tested, you know, when the, the last time I can give insulin and still get that spike. So about an hour and 20 minutes before I gave my final, I gave two units of insulin because I wanted to have a Red Bull at the start of the race to get, to get the spike up. I had a Red Bull and a diet Red Bull that I was I, either one based on glucose. And finally, all the insulin started to kick in. And about 20 minutes before the start, I'm now 140 with glucose coming down. I took the Red Bull and you can see, you know, I'll show my, my glucose graph and I'll, I'll send you these later. But you see this, like I'm spiking up just like I intended yeah. to. Yeah. But you see it. But then something happened. Right. And yeah. You, know, you went up, up there for very long. It was, yeah. It went straight up. And then I began crashing within, you know, normally I don't take a gel in the first hour of my runs. Right. I just, I can go and it's about an hour in that I start to eat. Uh, but at like three kilometers in, I saw my glucose start to drop. I was like, uh oh, this, this is a problem. But, you know, I take Morton. I've never had stomach problems in my life. Um, you know, I was running on my pace, you know, like my stretch pace that we talked about. Uh, you know, so I was, I, I did a one thirty minute, one hour, 30 minutes and like 20 some odd seconds for the first half of the marathon. Uh, Incredible. Wow. My, but my, my heart rate was where it needed to be. You know, I was saying, I know at once above 160 is where like I have problems. So I, I had it right at 155. I was in a zone. I was comfortable. You know, and, but then glucose dropped, had a gel went up for a second. I'm like, okay, good. I'm going to stay stable here. And then it started dropping again. It's like, okay, another gel. And then, and then I'm still continuing to drop. And like, so I'm, I said, I gotta be ready to rock in the second half. I, I need to, you know, I'm right on, I was right on the limit to, for the potential to break three hours. And I knew that I needed to come off the, the bridge, the London bridge was about halfway and be ready to hit it. Um, it just not hit it, but main, maintain and I was starting to slow just a little bit. Uh, and, and so I took a, a third gel, this time a caffeine one, because with caffeine, you get a little bit extra boost in glucose. I was counting on that. And you know, I took the caffeine gel and about you know, five minutes later at mile 10, you know, my, my stomach like started, I was like, something's wrong. And you know, I threw up. Uh, and so it was just a little bit of throw up, but th then, a couple minutes later, a little bit of throw up. A couple minutes later, a little bit of throw up. And from mile 10 to mile 16, I was you know, throwing up, you know, like in chunks here, chunks there, um, to the point it was just like green bile coming out at the end and, uh, you know, not ideal. Um, so, you know, at the same time, my glucose was dropping and I know I needed food. So I'm sitting there trying to, you know, take in like bits of a gel, bits of a gel, bits of a bar, just trying to get something in because, you know, glucose dropping, you have to take action. So, I kept eating, which kept, you know, causing more vomiting. <clears throat> and to the point where I finally just stopped, like there's a long under long bridge, uh, that you go under, you're in a tunnel. It's like, finally no fans. I can, I can just, so I went off the side and I pulled the trigger to try and just end this, uh, <clears throat> and got going again. Lo and behold, it hit me again when there were a lot of fans and I pulled off again to the side of the road and I, this girl's looking at me like with, oh boy. And I was just like, sorry. 
Yeah. Fortunately, um, it was raining in London. So I got whatever mess I left on my shirt got cleaned off for all the pictures, I think. Uh, I haven't gone in, into them in depth just yet. Um, you know, but my pace started slowing down. And at you know, mile 13, it still had a chance, but it just became hard. And yeah, I think that's marathon running, right? It's mile 13. It, that's when the real race starts. So maybe I went out too hard. Uh, lot, lots of lessons from this. But, you know, I, I had a goal. And um, you know, my real goal was 3.15. That's what I'd said from the start. I, I knew via training I could do that. Um, you know, but at, at one point I was like, you know what? I'm, I feel bad. I can't run. You know, and I was just, my pace was into seven-minute miles, into 7.15s, and 7.30. And I said, you know what? I don't want to get to the finish line and just have a miserable, it's, you know, I said, it's time to, like, just enjoy the crowds. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy this experience you know, I'll take some lessons out of it. I, my glucose had gotten stabilized. About mile 16, I was able to start eating again. Uh, and you can see in the graphs, my glucose finally started to go up. Now, that didn't make my legs feel any better. At this point, my legs were dead. And, you know, you figure 10K with no calories and depleting yourself, there's just, there's no chance for, you know, maintaining what your, your muscles need for, from a fueling standpoint. But the crowds were awesome. And I just, I found that, like, you could put your hands in there like this and they would start screaming, screaming, <laughs> bloody, bloody murder. And so every time my legs would hurt a little bit, I just, I would turn, look, and you try to make eye contact with people, put the arms in the air, wave. And you know, my left shoulder actually hurt probably as bad as my legs by the time I got <laughs> uh, from the fans. And it, you know, it was, it was cool. You know, I had this one guy who was probably 20 meters in front of me and he started looking around. He's like, what the, yeah, you know, and then when he turned back to keep running, I just I put him up again, and the fans went crazy again. And he's looking around like, "Who's who's around? Is there some famous guy?" And and then it got quiet again. He he looks and do it again, and I <laughs> I gave up, slapped him on the back. I said, "Man, you got a huge fan club here." And you know, and there were other people who were running with names on the front, and so they were getting their name called out all the time, or maybe they were like famous people um, and getting their name called out. I'd say, I'm going to run with you for a little while because you seem really popular and, uh, and I want to be around your, your crowds. And so lo, lo and behold, you know, I had a blast. Like, I, I really did enjoy it. Um, was I ketonic during this or was I ketonic overnight? Uh, what damage, like what would have gone differently had the overnight you know, gone according to plan? I don't know. Uh, but I think the important thing here is like I had a plan. Uh, and like Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan to get punched in the face. Then you have to adapt. And, you know, I was over-prepared from a fueling standpoint. I had seven, I think I had eight gels with me in total and one bar. Uh, I came to the finish line with two spares, uh, maybe three spares, actually. And, no, no, two. I came with two. <clears throat> and so I had 150 grams of carbs over the course of the run, um, much more than I thought I would need, but you know, it was the finish line happened. Uh, I got to, you know, go back, you know, after about a 20 minute walk in the frozen cold, um, what it felt like, uh, I got to, um, the, the after event that Abbott was hosting us w with, uh, Tom Kelsall, you know, my hero w was there. His dad was there to, to give me a big hug and tell him how much it meant, meant to them. And, you know, and then it was just like, I really just enjoyed it. So, I'm ready for another one. Um, got to do a bike ride last week, and but Berlin was a beautiful experience, a be beautiful challenge. Uh, diabetes game didn't go as 
according to plan, but you know, I don't think it does for a lot of people. Um, I, I met a woman, Denise, and I know I'm just, we probably got multiple questions and I'm just blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I just want to clarify, you, you, you mean London was a beautiful experience, not Berlin. London was a beautiful experience, yes, excuse me. Uh, Berlin's what's next on my mind. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I met a woman, Denise. She's had type 1 for 42 years. Uh, her sister is um, it, it's the, the Chilean girl who's on our team of Nordisk, right, as one of our ambassadors. And she goes, yeah, that's my sister. We have four sisters with diabetes. Ignacia Mont, yeah. Yeah, and, and so we, we had a beer the day after the race, and she showed me how hers didn't go to plan. And, you know, and it was like, and I showed her mine. She was like, I thought you were perfect. I'm like, yeah, we all got, we're all dealing with the same, like, need to adapt. And that's, you know, that's the theme as a life, of, as an athlete with diabetes, right? It's, you got to be ready to adapt because you never know what's going to happen. And uh, yeah, fun, fun, fun. I'm ready for another one. Uh, I'm still a runner and a bike rider, a bike rider who runs a lot or a runner that likes to ride bikes. I don't know. We've got a identity crisis right now but uh, we'll solve that in the near future at team never notice we love it the more sports the better we love it that's so cool that you got to meet ignacia's sister because um i interviewed her for a while back we did a story on the team never notice website and she spoke about her oldest sister having diabetes who inspires a sister runs marathon so it's so cool that you got to meet yeah. her but I must commend you for staying calm and being so positive while adapting mid-race. Um, you've been living with diabetes since you were seven months old. How did you stay calm and why did you stay calm and why did you stay positive? Because surely when you see your glucose dropping like that and you're trying to eat, but everything's coming up, the more you're eating, the more it's coming up. How do you stay calm and positive in that situation? Well, I, I knew I had fueled, like my, my engine was loaded. Right. It's, you know, I, I had a lot of carbohydrates in, in the muscles, in the legs. I, you know, so I had reserves there uh, in my training runs. You know, I, I did experiment with doing, you know, intensity runs with the glucose in the 60s. You know, I did this. I had gels with me, but I needed to see, you know, how does my body respond with a lower, lower glucose? And and so I, I prepared and training for, for that. And I wasn't going dangerously low. Right. I was, you know, I was dropping. I was. I wanted to stay between 160 and 200, but yeah, you, know, you can see I pull this up. You know, I guess the lowest I got to was 90, and it was a you know 90 that it started to come back up. So it was like I knew I had margin for error, and I also knew that you know if worse come to worse, and like I just kept dropping, you know, to the to the 50s, then I could stop, right? And once you stop running, like I wasn't gonna stop the marathon, but you could stop for just a minute or two. And then that shuts off the muscle receptors ability to absorb glycogen. And so that'll cause a spike to go back up. So I had a, I had two really backup plans just in case it kept getting worse. Uh, but I was fortunate that I was able to get it to stabilize, you know, in the nineties and then have it start to come back up in the last uh, 45 minutes of the race. Now, again, we must clarify, this is your story. This is very individual. We will never give specific information to other people with diabetes to say you have to do this to, to the, the definition of, you know, these kind of details. But if you were to be very generic, um, what are some of the tips after going through this that you would share with, with people, with people with diabetes trying to take on a long ultra event? I, I'd say one, one is, you know, 
don't let the stress of your glucose control, you know, override the fun of your event, right? It's, you know, it's not going to go perfectly according to plan. So just kind of have that assumption going in and the knowledge, you know, and I say training could be a good, good experience to like try different scenarios just so that when races come, you know, when it doesn't go to plan, you know how to adapt. Like I also, I, I had an insulin pen with me, right? And I, you know, Christina and I had a plan of where I would give insulin, anticipating my glucose was going to go up into the 240s. Like I, you know, 220 wasn't going to get insulin, 230 not. But for me, 240 was the level that we knew if I went above that, I would need to give insulin. So that's what actually was my bigger concern going in was, you know, when am I going to, am I going to need to give insulin or not, you know, based on my body's response to the start of the run. Um, and so knowing I was, may have to do that, you know, you have to be prepared with food. As I said, I, I came back with two extra gels. Um, you know, I didn't, I only thought I would need, you know, call it five, maybe six, just on, again, how much carbohydrate loading I had done. Uh, so I packed eight just in case, um, you know, and, and I took a bar with me, which I never take bars with me just in case. Um, and it doesn't, it's not going to break your your record, you're not going to lose out on anything by having too much food. You know, at the end of the day, you know, and I, I tell everyone, like, I never walk out of my house without gummies in my pocket uh, because you just never know when your body's going to react differently. So be prepared. Um, and so be prepared on the lows, be prepared for the highs, you know, and then just understand that I wasn't going to let diabetes ruin my race. I wasn't going to let this you know, stomach issue ruined the race. I, I wasn't there you know, to break any world records. I was there to do the best that I could do. And, you know, the best that I could do uh, changed drastically from mile 10 to mile 16. And I said, I want to have fun. And, you know, and so I, I just looked at the crowds and really just tried to make it fun. And <clears throat> you'll, I mean, you see my last three miles were brutally slow, uh, but I kind of, it was validation that the work I'd done was there. The speed in the first half made me think that I can come back. And so this isn't going to be my last marathon. So I want this experience to be a great one, one that I can have a smile telling the story the whole way through. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. You walked away with three hours 17, um, which you said was two minutes slower than um, your stated goal in the beginning. But I don't think you sound, you don't, to me, you don't sound disappointed in that. But in hindsight, what would you, if you were to go back um, in hindsight, what would you have changed? You know, so it was happening. What would I have changed? Uh, you know, again, based reviewing my data, uh, I, I think, you know, the cookie at 1 a.m. was, not what I needed. You know, I probably should have taken, you know, 10 grams of, you know, carbohydrates from, from gummies, just little short ones. Cause I, that would have you know, brought me back up to a hundred and, you know, and if I dropped again, I, I had my alarm set, you know, a little bit higher than, than normal. Normally my low arms at 55, I moved them to 75 to make sure that I, you know, like it didn't go into hypoglycemia before the night. Obviously that wasn't a concern at all. Um, and then, the morning, I, I probably should have, you know, done less insulin and not worried about breakfast. You know, being that high overnight, you know, meant that, you know, I really was locked and loaded from a glycogen storage perspective. I probably didn't need that oatmeal. And, 
you know, I should have you know, gone with my normal strategy of just not eating breakfast and you know, had carbs. And then I could have been a little bit, uh, you know, that final you know, injection of two units, you know, I didn't need that. You know, I, I, sh I shouldn't have done it in hindsight. Um, <clears throat> but you know, hindsight's always 2020. Um, just thank God I had you know, real-time glucose control on my wrist with you know, the energy band. Uh, I have my phone in my back pocket that has my Libre 3 uh, on it so that I could have the ranges above and below, but I didn't need it. You know, I was within 55 and 200 nearly, pretty much the entire, I guess, between 90 and 200, the entire run. Um, so yeah, uh, changing what I ate to treat a, a low the night before, and it wasn't a low, it was 75. And then second would be that last dose of actually not had oatmeal and not had that final two units of insulin. And I think it would have been a different equation, but that's for me to test again the next time I do one. I mean, you, you asked a bit about the prep. I, I guess we could say, you know, like for three weeks, you know, I, I kind of did training on my own, you know, just trying to progressively do longer ones. And so I, you know, my times were good enough to me that I started thinking if I prepare even better that I could go even faster. Uh, so, you know, former Team Nova Nordisk coach, um, Super Sapiens, high performance, you know, director, uh, Christina Scochi, I, I called her three weeks before the the marathon and, and said, I need help. And she's like, okay, I'll, yeah, you got to start training. Uh, and I'd been doing, you know, 12, 14 mile runs, but not, not much more. And she said, this weekend, you got to go do 35 Ks. Like, huh? And, and I, so start mentally perfecting 35 Ks. And then she, and she goes, and I want you to go at race pace. If you explode, it's not a problem, right? Just try to go at race pace. And race pace for me was 7.30 was the target, but I did 7.07 on that run and felt decent afterwards. And I thought, okay, that's good. And then and she said, okay, now you got to do intervals. And I was like, Ugh, I hate intervals. So I kind of finagled around that and kind of tried to gamify it a little to, to make it not suck. And then now you got to go do a 40K run. And that that one hurt. Um, it, that one was probably my favorite training run because I was, I'll go back to mileage because that's what's easy for me. You know, zero to 10 was, you know, okay. You know, 10 to 20 was also okay. But once I hit 20 miles, like my, my legs started to properly hurt. And like that ache that you only can get at the end of a marathon. <clears throat> and, and I started thinking, about, well, I'm going to have this ache in the marathon. You know, I need to be ready to push through it because suffering, I, I was counting on my ability to suffer is kind of the key to achieving you know, the stretch target that I had. And so I just started doing, you know, inter intervals, like not like I just run as hard as I could for as long as I could and then go easy and recover. Bobby, Bobby Julek will test, Dan Holt will test that that's kind of the way I ride also. It's just, you know, attack, blow up, attack, blow up and kept doing that. So the last three miles of that call it 24 mile run uh, were actually the fastest three miles of that, that run, which gave me great hope and inspiration for what I thought would be last three miles of my marathon. Uh, but as as we talked about before, it was a, or so I'll tell you later, whichever one, um, you know, the last three miles, I was choosing to wave at the crowds and choosing to have fun rather, and, and suffering rather than choosing to try and suffer more uh, for something. I don't know. So it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. Heck of an experience. I got to thank Christina 
I gotta thank my coach, uh, Christina, my coach, and then thank my brother again, Jack, Jack Sutherland, uh, just for, for being there for me on these longer runs. And, uh, you know, it's, it's good to have family around, good to have friends to, to be a part of your journey. And, uh, yeah, that one's done box checked. And, you know, I, I want to do Berlin. That's my next target. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I'll just put it out there. My stretch goal from last one is my real goal from this one. Um, and, you know, we'll see what the legs, the heart, the head, and the glucose uh, allow to happen come that big day in October. Okay, so talk us through feelings after the marathon and the next day. Yeah, so, you know, one, one thing is, uh, you know, I just mentioned, I, I ate a lot of food. So, you know, like, for, again, for me, you know, as I said to you, you finish, and you, if you've been fueling, the glycogen receptor shut off. So spike in glucose, you know, but I really wanted a, a burger. So, you know, dosed appropriately so I could get a burger. I got a beer. I, you know, I hadn't had a drop of alcohol in like a, a month to just make sure everything, the engine was fully primed. <clears throat> you know, called my brother who was, um, you know, my training partner. He he rode his bike a lot for me on my longer runs. He, he'd ride next to me while I did the run, so he'd carry water and things. So I got to call him and just say thanks because I couldn't have done it without him. But then the reality of yeah, having done a marathon set into my my body, and whew, that was a shock. Like I, I knew I knew I was going to hurt, but wow, I, I had no concept whatsoever for how deep the pain was going to be. And I, I mean, from the glucose control, once I got it, everything stabilized after, was fine. I was hungry, so I was able to eat food. But the next, the, the rest of that day, then the next day, uh, then to the m Monday, I was just pretty much lying in bed all day. Uh, I tried to go on some walks just to to move the legs. Finally, at one point, I had some like confidence, like, I think I'm okay. And I went to walk a little too quickly downstairs, and my knees pretty much like buckled i had to grab onto a railing i was like whoo you, know, you, you do a long bike ride a 10 hour 12 hour bike ride the next day you get out of bed and a little sore maybe but but you can walk and you're going to be fine but boy when maybe that's only training for six weeks also uh but i was <laughs> absolutely destroyed completely destroyed and you know, i was with um, the coach as i said of uh some of the nn runners uh the girl who won boston last or excuse me won London last year, she got fifth uh, this year, Yelameze. And so how, you know, what's, what do I need to do for recovery? He said, three weeks completely off. You know, three, three weeks, nothing. Maybe some easy bike rides. I said, yeah, but I'm doing 240Ks next weekend. He said, yeah, not what I would recommend, but I'm not your coach, so what, who, am I to, who am I to say? And I was like, all right, thanks, Dan. But I will say, <clears throat> for anyone aspiring to do a marathon, have a bike after because on Wednesday, once I got on the bike and spun the legs out, I was a whole lot better. And then on Thursday, I did a couple spinning the legs out. I mean, I didn't feel good by any means, but the, I felt the bike really helped expedite the recovery because I don't, I don't think I'd still be, I'd still be limping right now had I not have, had some bike rides in between to, to get some fresh blood back in, in, in there. And so if you're going to do a marathon, prepare properly so that you didn't have that two days of death that I had afterwards. And if you don't have time to prepare properly, and you still have those two days of death, try to get on the bike as quickly as possible, because I promise it'll expedite uh, your personal recovery journey 
which is something everyone should have a plan for because uh, it's, it's like childbirth. You know, once you have the baby, you know, it, it's not like the hard work's done. That's when it all really begins. And I, I kind of think it finished the marathon. That's That was not when the pain finished. That was when the real pain actually began and was there with me every step for the next um, 72 hours. Yeah, I'm not sure I should be taking advice from you. One of the world-class coaches told you to take three weeks off. Instead, you went uh, six days later after the marathon, went and rode what was meant to be 225 kilometers on the bike, got lost, so came back with over 230K. <laughs> I'm not taking advice from you. It was, yeah. But but I, I'd made a promise to Tom to do the, the, that ride and you know, come hell or high water, I was going to be there to support support the boy on a stream and what an, what an honor. Uh, what, what an honor to get to be a part of that. Let's get into that. Let's actually talk about Tom. Well, well, I mean, the, you know, since we're here on the, the Team Nova Nordis podcast, uh, I, I do have to do, do a call out, a shout out to my good buddy, Tom Kelsall. Um, I think, you know, if you don't know it, K-E-L-S-A-L-L, Tom Kelsall, Google Tom Kelsall, you know, Team Nova Nordis surprise. Um, you'll see some cool things. Tom was at training camp uh, this January, and you know we talked about doing the Majorca 225, which you know, it's the Majorca 312 is the event name, but they have three different tiers: 312, 225, and 167 kilometers. You know, all of which are extremely hard. And over the course of training camp, where Tom was a guest of ours, you know, uh, in January, you know, I saw that there was a kid who'd gone from a kid who couldn't say two words uh, and riding bikes, you know, he didn't know how to shift gears. He didn't know how to drink water from the, bu the bike, uh, you know, but he loved to ride the bike and it brought him great joy. <clears throat> and I've seen Tom check off goal after goal after goal over the past couple of years. And each time he achieves a goal, I watch his confidence exponentialize. And we, you know, had some creative thoughts and ideas at camp. And one of them was, you want to do the 225. Uh, we've talked about it, but, you know, I never want to set a goal that's unrealistic. And so it was that training camp in uh, Altea you know, where Tom was inspired by the Team Novo athletes and I was inspired by Tom. And I said, I think you can achieve this, bud. And his dad said, the only problem is going to be, you know, he can't eat on, on the ride. You know, so we'll have to stop a lot. I said, that's, that's not an option. I said, Neil, and I said, I, I said, Neil, let me handle this. And I turned to Tom and I said, Tom, you want to do two five? And he goes, yes, I do. Phil, I'd really like to do it with you. I said, you have to learn to eat and drink on the bike. I said, can you do that? He said, yes. Yeah, I'll do that. And um, sure enough, like two weeks later, his dad told me he'd been taking jelly babies while riding on Zwift. He'd started drinking water while riding. They went and started testing it outside. And you know, Tom worked really hard, not just on his own cycling, but on learning to fuel, you know, on the bike so he could take on this challenge. And Tom did 230, we got a little lost one time, and Tom ended up doing, you know, <laughs> 230 some odd kilometers and 10 hours, and he had accomplished the Majorca, you know, 225. Um, you know, so it was, it was really, you know, we had Todd Rolls, a, a type, type one who's there, uh, Neil Kelsall, the father of type one who's there, myself, you know, checking glucose, uh, Terry Huss, uh, a Nova Nordisk employee who's, you know, I've known for, you know, 20 some odd years now, who's just a, a great diesel engine. 
who came to support Tom. And, you know, I, you know, I was just probably, I've done a lot of bike rides uh, and I had a lot of wonderful experiences because of the bike. But what Tom achieved on Saturday in Majorca, to be there, to be a part of it, to watch that kid go deep into the box. I mean, he was, he had some tough, tough, tough moments out there, but he always bounced back from those tough moments. Uh, and he made it across the line with a finish line on a, a smile as he crossed the finish line. Um, you know, just, it's heroic. So I guess the, the summation of everything in this podcast is dream big and, you know, put the work in because, you know, Diabetes isn't going to hold you back. Nothing's going to hold you back. If you if you really want to do something and you're willing to put the work in, you know you can do it. Uh, so I, you know, from me doing a marathon, I'd say that's not inspirational for for me because uh, I've just got so many years of cycling and diabetes. Like I'm expected to do things like this, uh, but for that young boy, 19 years old, I think he was the youngest rider out there. You know, to do 225 kilometers uh, was just you know truly truly inspirational and. Um, if you want to come join us, Tom got the Hero of the Day Award uh, at the 312. And he also on stage announced that he'd like to come back and do the 312 next year. So if there's anyone with diabetes out there who wants to embrace that challenge, come join us at the Myrica 312 next year. Tom's got another big goal, and I'm excited to be a part of this, this dream coming true now, too. Incredible. Yeah, I'd encourage everyone listening, go to the Team Nova Nordis YouTube channel, Serge Tom Castle. He lives with type 1 diabetes and Kulin de Frey syndrome. And he's just an incredible young man who's going from strength to strength, truly inspiring. But yeah, thank you, Phil, for making this happen. Thank you for giving people like him the platform to achieve and inspire others. And let's go from strength to strength. Thanks for coming on here today and telling your story. Yeah, thanks for having me, Zalan. 